Over the years as a coach, I have collected quite a few letters behind my name, just meaning that I have a bunch of certifications that nobody cares about in order to try to be better at my job. And one of my favorite ones was the ultra running coaching certification from UASCA, the United Endurance Sports Coaching Academy. I found it really helpful. For one, it was affordable, which is not always true with these things. And it provided a bunch of simple, actionable information to help me train trail runners to be better out on the trail. This week, I have Rick Prince on the podcast. He is the founder of USCA. And we talked about his background, why USCA is different, and why we need another certification in this seemingly saturated market of coaching organizations and certs. So if you're a coach and looking to maybe get a certification, this is definitely up your alley. If you're not, and you just want to know what you're looking for in a coach who has various letters behind their name, or if you just want to spend a few hundred dollars to learn how to train so that you can coach yourself even better. So that's what this one's about. I think it's probably geared a little more towards coaches, but you can still get a lot out of it, even if you have no interest in coaching other people. Let's get to it. Welcome to the Trail and Ultra Running Training Podcast. My name is Will Franz, and I'm here to help you improve your training so you can have more fun out on the trails. This week on the podcast, I have Rick Prince. He is the founder of USCA, a like endurance-focused coaching certification organization. And Rick, I'm going to kind of introduce yourself and tell you, tell us a little bit about your background and where you come from. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, thanks for the intro. Yeah, my name is Rick Prince. I'm the founder of United Endurance Sports Coaching Academy, or USCA. Um, my background is full from a sporting background. My, I've always been into endurance sports, primarily as a cyclist. Uh, and then in college, I got burned out of cycling. So I went to running, I ran collegiate uh, track and cross country. And then since then, uh, I've just been sort of doing a little bit of biking, a little bit of running here and there, nothing, nothing too crazy. Um, and right. I started USCA, yeah, back in like 2014, it was a very soft launch, started off as a side gig. I was primarily working as a personal trainer in New York city. That's my, my primary, uh, you know, sort of work background, um, uh, lived there for about 20 years. And then I just saw a need for, uh, you know, well, I should say the coaching industry is very similar to. Uh, the fitness industry that it's unregulated. And as a result, there's a lot of, we'll call it not so great trainers, not so great coaches. Um, and then just because you have a certification doesn't mean you're you're great either. But I just felt like the bar could be, uh, you know, needed to be risen a little bit. And that was a catalyst for, um, for starting USCA, just to kind of get a little more science-based information out there to coaches. Oh, man. Yeah. Fair. I'm over here like giggling on mute because, uh, yeah, to say it's unregulated and hit or miss is an understatement for sure. Yeah. Um, so a little bit on on you. How did you get into cycling and like when did that start? Yeah. So uh it's actually kind of a funny story. A buddy <laughs> of mine came over to my house one time. His dad was into cycling and he had this really cool helmet. And I'm like, that looks like a motorcycle helmet. That's awesome. Got but it. of course, my parents wouldn't, wouldn't let me get a motorcycle. I was 14 years old, you know. So instead of going the leather route, I went the spandex route instead. <laughs> so I got into cycle when I was about 14 and raced, you know, fairly competitively and quite a bit, you know, in my teenage years up until about 18, 19. Uh, and like I said, then I kind of got a little burned out and did some running and, and stuff sure. like that. And, and then ever since then, like I, like I said, it's just been nothing too competitive, just more of just casually just to stay in shape and burn off some stress, <laughs> stuff like that. Cool, man. I don't think I've known anybody who's like started cycling that early. Like in my life, it's usually, I, know, I found it in my early twenties and that's like one of the earlier I've known, honestly. Um, how, what does that competitive circuit look like at that, at that young age for cycling? Yeah. Well, at the time road cycling was, it was mostly road cycling. I did some mountain bike racing, but it was really, really big. Now it's almost non-existent, you know, mm. primarily I think because of, you know, when I started racing, it was so 14, that was like 1988 to age myself. So, um, 
you know, that was before cell phones, distracted driving and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, you know, you can't go a week now without reading the news, you know, about someone getting run over by a car, you know, killed or seriously hurt. So it's really changed the landscape a lot. And I think, um, so there's, there's just not a lot of races on offer, you know, offered anymore. So, um, so I guess it's a long-winded way of answering your question. It was pretty competitive, um, when I was doing it. Um, I had a chance also to go over to Europe, to Belgium and Holland to race, which is sort of the, the Mecca of, of road racing. It still is. It's like, if you want to, you know, see how you stack up against the best, you go over to Belgium and Holland and get your butt kicked in and you come back wow. pretty humble, which is what That's happened cool. to me. Um, <laughs> but, fair. but yeah. yeah, I got destroyed over there, but yeah, but now it's, you know, it's, it seems that it's just not that big of a deal, but like, for example, when we did, when I raced nationals one year, I think I was 17. Um, it was in Bear Mountain State Park in New York. And there were heats of a hundred and I think it was heats of a hundred junior riders. And there were oh, wow. so 18 and under, and there were like three or four heats and only the, the top 25 made it to the final heat. And I was talking to uh, one of our cycling contributors just recently. And I think it was last year's nationals. There were like 25 kids in total in. So it's, it's, it's wow. seen a huge shift. I think, you know, Lance Armstrong, uh, you know, before his sort of downfall, you know, that really helped out road cycling a lot. And even though there's, there's probably more really good Americans right now racing over in Europe professionally and doing really, really well. Um, Like an American just won the tour of Spain, which is one Mm -hmm. of the big grand tours, similar to the tour de France. Um, They're not that same brand name in that same for better or worse sort of, uh, you know, Lance Armstrong ish personality. So it doesn't have the story behind it. You know, they didn't beat cancer. They didn't do all that kind of stuff. So yeah, ever since Lange Armstrong, really, honestly, it's sort of been in a downward spiral road cycling, at least, you know, gravel cycling is pretty big now. Um, Indoor riding, like those indoor platforms like Zwift are big. Again, I would make the argument largely because when you're riding on gravel and these, you know, sort of, uh, you know, desolate roads and in indoor, certainly your chances of getting hit by a car are a lot less than on the road. So, um, I, I do think that this is that, you know, the whole distracted driving has a large influence on, uh, sort of the decline of road cycling. Interesting, man. Yeah. Like I've never really put that together, but I mean, you're right. I've been, I think I've been tapped twice and like nothing major, but I know people who've died, uh, and it's yeah. not, it's it's kind of scary out there and and i've been it very is. privileged to be here in the west right so like i it's not that it doesn't happen here it, it absolutely does like one of the people like a friend of a friend and uh, died out here on a on a road but at least like you tend to have a shoulder that's almost the size of another lane whereas yeah. like i remember back east my dad was a big cyclist before so i grew up in mexico and then we spent a bunch of time in pennsylvania and then back to new mexico and the time in pennsylvania mm. my dad just stopped cycling because it was terrifying He's just like, I'm yeah. too scared to ride out here. So absolutely. Yeah. Where, yeah, where in Pennsylvania? Lancaster in the middle of Amish country. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, I grew, I grew up in the Poconos. Oh, um, okay. And, and the, you know, and there's the, the riding from a terrain perspective is amazing, but you're right. There's oh, yeah. no shoulders. And, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm lucky I made it out in one piece, you know, and, and it's kind of ironic too, like living in New York city, uh, I would, to get to my personal training clients, I would ride my bike because that was the fastest, mm-hmm. most predictable way. Um, and and I actually felt fairly safe there because traffic doesn't move too fast. There's sure. always tons of cyclists, you know, whether it be commuters, bike messengers, food delivery guys. So people are always on looking out for cyclists. Um, mm-hmm. And, but yet, so it's kind of funny, like people think, oh, you're crazy to ride in Manhattan. Actually, I felt quite safe there. Where I felt unsafe was getting out to where I am now riding on the roads. Fortunately, there's a lot of bike paths where I am, but if you're not on a bike path, I, I definitely feel a little more worried for lack of a better word here than I did in New York city, which is kind of, kind of weird to say, actually. No, I hear it. it does feel kind of counterintuitive, but I've heard the same from a bunch of people. Like a few of my friends went to NYU and um, yep. a couple of them like bike to bike to school literally every day like one dude almost yeah. took it as a challenge like he'd, he'd ride his fixie through the snow and the ice um oh that's funny yeah it was it was a it was a move of you know 20 year old 
whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But it's like, they never felt all that concerned. I mean, they said they had a couple of close calls, but it wasn't anything major. Sure. Like, like my, my couple of taps, but it definitely wasn't like here. If you're going to get hit, you're going to get hit at 50 miles an hour. And like, that's right. really exactly the big problem. Right. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. So how yeah. did you make that shift from, you say you kind of got burnt out, um, that shift from cycling to collegiate track and cross country. I usually actually, I hear people go the other direction where they're runners for a while and then kind of get burnt out and go, go to cycling. Yeah. What is, uh, yeah. how did that shift look? Like, was that kind of a weird, uh, weird transfer? Did your cardio just carry you? Like, how did that look? Yeah. I mean, kind of the cardio, the engine was good. The legs were not. So I got injured a lot. I didn't know what I was doing. I, I spent half the year like in the pool doing like water jogging. Cause I always got, I got a bunch of stress fractures and yeah. you know, my coach, my track coach was very uh, like old school, just run a lot, run hard. There was not a lot of science behind it. Let's put it that way. Um, you know, I got, I got fitter sure. and, and, you know, and I, I, I enjoyed it. And, and honestly, I think, you know, the thing with cycling, right. Is you're on a bike and get flat tires in bike races. There's, there's a lot of tactics, there's drafting. And one thing I really liked about running was that well, in, in theory, there are some tactics, but there's not a lot. It's basically just pacing and, and I, and I, you know, you can get hurt of course, but you're not going to get a flat tire. And so I, so I kind of like the fact that there were less variables to deal with in running. Um, I didn't really enjoy running track so much. Um, my, my coach put me in everything from the 800 up to the, I think it was up to the 10,000. Um, oh my god! Yeah, like this huge range. <laughs> like what a disparity between those two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my! It was it was awful. He even threw me in the uh, the steeplechase one time. We were running against MIT, and they're uh, they were like our our main competitor or whatever rival, I guess. And they, we were missing a person, so he threw me in the the steeplechase, which was an absolute disaster. Um, but yeah, no, it was it was fun. But I had no idea what I was doing. I was just getting out there and running, and you know doing my best, but I had a lot of fun. I, you know, a lot of, made a lot of good friends and it was, it was, it was enjoyable. That's awesome, man. And yeah. I feel yeah. like some of that is more common than maybe we'd like. I mean, I realized it was the early nineties. That's what it was. It was like early to mid nineties, but it's like so many people, even now I'm coaching this kid. He's 25 and his coach is, is very old school. And he was a tennis player and he's just like wrecked. Like he's, he's doing yeah. really well now, but like when he left college, like dorsal tendon on his, uh, or dorsal ligaments on his ankle were destroyed, his shoulders ruined. Cause there's like, there's no tactical weight training or lifting or strength or anything. Like they didn't like, oh, oh yeah, what's wrong with sure. your rotator cuff? Like, why can we not get this extension overhead? It was like, just lift heavier and then go get faster and then play yeah. more tennis and it just yeah. ruined this kid. And I think this is really common across the board from this like old school mentality of coaching. Yeah, I I would agree. And, and it, the ironic thing is where I went to school, Springfield college in Massachusetts, what they're known for is, is, well, they're known, they were, they were one of the first schools to have a physical education curriculum that it was a school where uh, James Nath Smith invented basketball. So the only oh, reason sure. you go to this school basically is, is, you know, for something allied health, you know, physical therapy, mm. kinesiology. So, but despite all that, the, the sport training, was at least at least what I experienced in track and to some degree cross country was just run run a lot run hard and for someone like my and most everyone ran in high school most people even ran in middle school like I think I was one of the few that never really ran before I just started in college you know and yeah uh, so I, I I really had no idea what I was doing but I think so it's just maybe one of the reasons I got injured more but um so yeah the whole like just run a lot and run faster run further run harder didn't really mesh so well with my my body <laughs> for sure man i mean i think this this is kind of the old school where it's like it's almost like a weeding out process rather than the building you know where like yeah. oh you're good in middle school so you so you become good in high school so you so we just like end up selecting from this like genetic pool who are lucky enough to do this sport well versus yeah. like well sure maybe you're going to get top of the podium but maybe let's also build up the other dude that we decided is going to be on the team like i i, I find that frustrating where it's not like we're not trying to 
take everybody and make them a better athlete or give them a good experience. It's almost like building for the, for the program to some degree. And I realized like mm-hmm. you have to do that a little bit, but at the expense of a, of a kid's health is not, I'm not a fan. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I would agree. I would agree. So, I mean, like some of this you see, um, I noticed you mentioned there's like no science behind the training in your like early to mid nineties. And that's kind of what I've uh, noticed you hang the hat on for, for USCA. So it's kind of leads into like, how, how did USCA get started? Like what, what made you decide that you wanted to create a new cert program? Yeah. Well, kind of as well as we were speaking about, um, you know, my, my primary work history has been in the fitness industry, personal training, which again, really mirrors the coaching industry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I did, I did coaching as well. I was a bike coach and, and all that stuff and worked with some runners and yeah. And I realized that for as lacking as the fitness industry is, as far as, you know, what I view as good certifications or really quality stuff, the, the endurance sports coaching industry has almost nothing. And when I started looking at what was out there, you know, um, the different certification programs. And and I'm like, this stuff is just not great (laughs) for lack of a better word. And I just felt that, uh, a, it was antiquated. Most of the content, um, B, it was very, uh, just general. It was very, not really that helpful. So I just thought I could do a better job at it. Quite frankly, I could put out there something, something better. And, and, and it's, it's kind of funny too, because I'm, it feels funny saying this because I run a certification company, but I'm not necessarily a huge fan of certifications for certifications purpose, you know, um, at least in my background in fitness, because I viewed a lot of them as just money grabs, you know, just create something, charge a lot of money for it. People will say they're certified, but the content isn't that great. Um, so I wanted to put something out there that was you know, very science-based. So, you know, people like myself wouldn't have the same experience from coaching in, in college as, as I had to be on the user end, on the athlete end, um, and, and just put out good stuff and hopefully, hopefully, you know, raise the bar of the coaching industry. You know, again, not that, and I always say this, you know, it's just because you have a certification doesn't make you a great coach. You could still be a terrible coach, but at least you'll have the knowledge of sort of how the body works and hopefully how to apply it. You know, it's up to the the coach to apply it properly. And I'm sure there's a lot out there that take our certifications that do the same kind of stuff that they were doing before they took our certifications. I'm sure. And, and that's just that's just what it is. Um, and that's fine. But yeah, that, that was sort of the goal was just to to increase the level of of, uh, content out there in the world of coaching and then, and then making it into a certification that people could, could use as a credential. I like that. And I mean, I I feel like to some degree with, I mean, you're working with humans, right? Like we're weird, flawed creatures. Like none of us quite work (laughs) the same. So, and I mean that both mentally and, but specifically physically here, like my injury history and and damage tends to lead me to move in different ways than what a textbook would tell you is, is the right way to move. And you don't learn how to deal with those cases until you've dealt with those cases, right? So I feel like to some degree coaching is, or maybe 90% actually, if I'm going to be honest, is just experience and getting your reps in and doing the work. But starting from a foundation that actually makes sense does help. (laughs) Yeah. um, Yeah. So I guess what sets you apart from other certs? And I'll be honest, like the only cert I have from y'all is the ultra running one because that is mostly who I coach. And I do not have other endurance certs. I have uh, training and nutrition and all this stuff uh, to to no end, but nobody really cares about the letter behind my name. So I just don't care about posting them. But yep. <laughs> as far as like USCA, how does like, let's say your running certification differ from multiple other ones? I was going to label one, but I'd rather not call anybody out by name. So like, how does it differ by, uh, from other ones? You're welcome to, if you want, I just don't want to put that on you. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I, I appreciate that. I think, I think one of the, probably the biggest one I think is that we go out of our way to get the best, what we view as the best and most knowledgeable people in specific areas. There are quite a few certifications, um, that are sort of system based and, and it's an individual that creates it, meaning 
um, you know, almost like step one, step two, step three, here's what you do to become a coach, or here's how you coach athletes, or here's my system. This is how you need to coach athletes. And as you alluded to, the individuals are individuals are all different. You know, you can't lump everyone into the same category. And also, uh, we also us could, or I should say, I don't feel it's correct to, um, to just put out my theory of exercise. You know, I have a theory, you know, but it's largely based off of what everyone else, you know, all these other experts tell me, I think it gets yeah. dangerous when someone has a system for lack of a better word, um, or it can be dangerous because it can, it might work great for someone, but it might work not so great for someone else. So the, we don't create any of, our own, any of our own content. We reach out to experts in specific areas, whether it be aerodynamics or physiology or envi environmental physiology or nutrition, um, and they create the content. And then we put it all together into a certification because we feel that that's the best way to do it. You know, it's like, it's like you wouldn't re go out to a, you know, an orthopedic surgeon and want them to do your heart surgery and vice versa. Right. But yet that's essentially what happens in the, in these, a lot of these certifications, you just have a, a generic expert talking about all these different areas. Well, you can't be an expert in all these areas. You can have a little bit of knowledge in, in these areas, but you're not going to be an expert in all these. Um, so my take on it is if someone's, if we're putting out a product, if someone's paying money for it, they deserve to have the best possible quality. And we feel the best way to do that is to get experts in each specific area um, to create the content. Makes a ton of sense. So, I mean, I guess like, God, there's a few different ways to take that. So one of the things I want to say, I agree completely on the like jamming people into a system thing. Um, it always kind of worries me when there's like a method or a system or whatever associated with whatever. And I also realize that it's very good for marketing. If you have like, oh, of course, whatever method, like it, yeah. you, can, you can trademark it, you can whatever, and it makes you very easily searchable. And Sure. Not, but uh, it often leads, not always. I've seen people that basically they use it for marketing and they're like, but we're not going to do that. But for the most part, right. it leads uh, leads to you jamming uh, thousands of people into something that's going to work for half of those people and either break or not help the other half. Right. So right. I agree more. So if we look at, again, how this might differ from stuff like from other certs since i don't have them a lot of people listening to this won't they're just looking at coaches who have them um do other certifications just like have some some human coaching everything from nutrition to strength to whatever even though they don't really have an individual background and in all of that there is some of that for sure. Um, a lot of it has to do with there are some out there that have, you know, running technique, more form based mm. type stuff. Um, and there are some out there also that, that do have multiple contributors, but I would, but a lot of those again are a little bit antiquated uh, in, in my opinion. Um, and I think that, you know, maybe the presenters aren't as, as accomplished or you know, science-based also and evidence-based um, to really be providing great information. Again, that's not to say they're bad, you know. Um, sure. Again, I, th I think what's great about it is anytime someone purchases a certification, whether it be through USCA or whoever else, it's great because they want to take that next step forward um, to to educate themselves more, to learn more, to be a, to be a better resource for their athletes. So, so I should put out there, it's not that you know, these other certifications are necessarily bad. I just, we take a different approach to it, but I would certainly commend anybody that is going that extra step, extra step to get certified, to learn more, regardless of who they get certified for, or even just it doesn't even have to be a certification. They can be, you know, reading journal articles online or just doing a lot of research. And, and that's the best way forward is, um, is to just, you know, do the, do, you know, just get as much information as possible, whether that be through a certification and or their own studies, however they choose to do it. So. I appreciate that because yeah, my education has been very hodgepodge as I feel like it kind of needs to be on that end though. I, I do think that it can be really difficult to tell who actually knows what they're talking about. If you're if you're a lay person, right? And like, I include myself in that to some degree where it's like, I'm not a researcher. I don't know the amount of data on anything. So if we look like just, I started more in the nutrition space. So if we just look at like two really easy examples that I bring up a lot, there's like Michael Greger's book, How, How Not to Die. And it's a very vegan propaganda book. And then there's like 
Paul Saladino's like the carnivore book. And it's also, it's, it's a very carnivore propaganda book. Both of them are, have hundreds and hundreds of citations through this. And both of them, if sure. you take them from the like litany of data or like the, the totality of data are not complete. And so if we take this from a like coaching perspective and a trying to figure out who to listen to, how do you or your people or how should someone go about vetting and trying to figure out whether the person that they're listening to has an actual understanding of the topic as a whole? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it's very, uh, maybe the best way to answer is that it's very, very difficult. It's very difficult, mm -hmm. especially if you get, I'm not academic. I mean, I have a degree in kinesiology, but I'm not a, I'm not a uh, academic. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think one of the problems in, in, is you know, you were, you were at the uh, ultra running conferences, uh, yeah. I think Jason Coop put out there and Dr. Nick Tiller, social media now has so much effect on what people, you know, listen to watch and what becomes sort of their basis for, for, for information or what they then consider fact. And I think, and also the attention span goes down because whether it be, you know, TikTok or a story on Facebook, everything is in little snippets. Everything's in little mm -hmm. headlines, right? And, and you read a headline and without getting any substance, you say, okay, then this is good. That's bad. Right. And mm -hmm. it's, it's extremely difficult. I think to answer your question is, you know, to see who's, you know, putting out real information, like you said, it's, it's pretty easy to see when there's a bias, right? To say, uh, you know, you should only eat this diet because, you know, vegan is the way to go, or, you know, we're carnivores. That's why we have, you know, our incisor teeth, you know, this is what you need to be eating. It's pretty easy to spot bias. Um, and, you know, and again, I mean, we all have our own biases, right? Um, but I think, you know, one of the things you can do is go on a website like PubMed, P-U-B-M-E-D, and then look to see who is putting out information on nutrition, you know, or, or whatever field it is. And, and you don't have to be, you don't have to read the entire thing. You can read the abstracts and just kind of see where, where they're leaning. But generally I like to go after, I like to look at people who are, are, in this space have been in the space for a while and ideally have, have published research, you know, someone that's really in it, um, who, you know, understands the methods of doing proper research. Again, that doesn't make automatically make someone, you know, right or wrong, but I think it shows you that those people have a little bit more open mind to, uh, when it comes to information and there's probably less bias involved. Um, that being said, you know, it's funny, we, you know, like you said, U.S. it does to some degree hang its hat on, you know, mm -hmm. the information is research-based and, and science-based. But I can look at any article and I can spin it however I want. I can cherry pick a little thing out of it and make it something completely different than, than yeah. what the authors actually wanted, right? So I think that's the other thing that people have to be aware of just because there's citations you know, you really, as an individual, you really have to read it yourself because if you just say, well, you know, hey, Will said this and he cited this article and therefore it's the truth. Well, you might've just spun it that way, right? And so, yeah. so it is difficult. It is very difficult. But I would say, um, I will, I will caution people. Oftentimes the loudest voice in the room is not the most factual. You know, maybe they have the most traction because of social media, maybe you have this, but so I would, I wouldn't, in a lot of the people in academics, right. They're not putting stuff out on social media. They're, they're heads down in the books, putting stuff out mm -hmm. in journals. So, and those are usually the people that really know the most. So oftentimes, um, the most commercially, uh, uh, people that are do it the most commercially, the people, the names that you and I hear are the most, oftentimes they're not the experts or the utmost experts. The, the, the top experts are, are not putting out their stuff on social media oftentimes. So, so just, yeah, just cause it's out, just cause you hear someone's name a lot in the space doesn't necessarily make them an expert. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And I'll say <laughs> on, on my end, I often look at like what the person is trying to sell me. Um, Everybody's trying to cite something. I mean, I'm me too, you as well. Like we both have our sure. have our businesses. But sure. I I find, especially after doing this for a few years, a pretty marked difference in the quality of information I get from someone trying to sell me 
a lot of small things versus like something big that requires them a lot of work. Right. So for me, like yeah. I'm a coach, um, I'm trying to sell you a coaching package, which is somewhat expensive and it requires me a lot of work. Whereas something like I'm going to pick on Paul because Paul Saladino is terrible and worse by the month. Um, he's trying to sell you supplements in a book. And if we're like, that requires no work from him to make a ton of money. And usually if that is like the business model, that tends to lead to laziness or propaganda. And mm-hmm. I, that's kind of why I really appreciate your search that they're cited. They, they do bring in experts like Coop is, I mean, he's trained everybody from Carnassus to whatever for the past 20 years. And it is, uh, he, he knows how to get results. <laughs> and I feel yeah. like across the board, that's kind of what you're, what you're looking for. Someone who actually, especially in the coaching realm, someone who actually has a uh, wide and current also space in the coaching coaching realm. Yeah, no, I, I think, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head also with being current, you know, just because something was great 10 years ago, doesn't necessarily make it great now. Um, I, and I, I guess the other um, case for, for determining who you should, who people should listen to or not listen to. I think this goes also back to education again, whether you're, you're educated through college certifications or your own study, um, you can pick out the BS better then because you can, you'll, you'll know what is factual, what's not factual or yeah. not. I mean, not all the time, but that way, at least you'll be able to pick up on things when there's a little bit more of a bias, um, whether that be, you know, only eat meat or don't eat meat or, you know, mm-hmm. train this way or don't train that way. Um, and as you know, from our certifications, it's very rare that we put definitively do this or don't do that. There, there's a few cases, I think, in our certifications. But by and large, it's putting out the information on both sides of the topic or just here's all the information about a particular thing. Um and then it's up to you as a coach to learn how to apply that on, on an individual basis to your athlete or athletes, um, which is why we also stress a lot of the physiology and biomechanics and how the body works um, so that once you have that knowledge, you can apply it on an individual basis. But yeah, very rarely do we say this is the this is how you have to do it. This is right. That's wrong. That's a very, very rare. Um, and I think that's because, again, what could be totally horrible for you could be totally perfect for me and vice versa. And that's just... That's just a reality. Yeah, I agree. I, I think overgeneralization is one of the larger problems in the coaching space and probably in general, but like it's not my world. So if we look at, I have a NASM cert and I'm happy to talk positives and negatives on them. It was very, it was a very good start. It got me uh, in, it, it allows me to legally be a personal trainer in person. So that's sweet. Um, but they still to this day teach that you really shouldn't, you know, as of two years ago when I researched it, they teach that you shouldn't squat below 90 degrees, which like we know is not true if you have the control to do that. Uh, problem is <laughs> many people in the US do not. So if you're teaching to a certain, you're trying to generalize in the way that will keep everybody as safe as possible. You just tell people to not do that because I think it's often easier. It's almost always easier rather to say, don't do something than to actually explain the deep nuance on something. And it's one of the things I really appreciated about taking yours was there wasn't a lot of that. It's like, eh, maybe don't do this, but it's also, it might have an, have an application for someone depending on their cycle of season and et cetera. And I guess the lack of dictum I, I thought was really different, at least from the stuff I've taken for the most part. Yeah, you know, I, I have an NASM uh, CES certification, the Corrective Exercise Specialist. And so, yeah, I mean, some of it's great. Some of it's not great. I mean, I guess the mm-hmm. thing with that is always a little funky, too, because you're you're always f- working in that gray area, right? Mm-hmm. Of what's physical therapy? What's, you know, what's when are you dealing with sort of a medical type based thing where you should be referring yeah, out or what's the scope? Um but yeah, I mean, the, you know, you the squat's a perfect example, right? Because also there's also the the school of thought you should never have your knees over your feet, right? Like because that puts yes. too much stress on the patellar tendon. Well, you know, in cycling, when you push down on the pedals from twelve o'clock to three o'clock, your knee is way over your foot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. So when I when I train when I was training very specific strength training for cycling, I specifically went out of my way <laughs> to have my knee over my foot because that's where the strain is. That's exactly the mechanics that you're using. Um, you know, I but if you look at the position, 
also on the bike, you're never going, you know, as they would say, mm -hmm. ass to grass, you know, you're never sure. going a full range of motion. Um, so I would, I wouldn't do that. Right. I would yeah, do absolutely. You know, the range of motion, but yet if I was training someone for, you know, posture, if someone was doing like power lifting or something, you absolutely need to be doing that. If they have the proper mechanics and inner mm -hmm. core strength to be able to handle that. Um, so yeah, I think I, I agree. I think there's a lot of things out there that people just generically say, do this, don't do that because it's easy versus mm -hmm. really giving the, the science in the background. And then, and then saying, look, if there's a use application for it, like, like I said, like cycling, why wouldn't I put my knees over my feet? You know, it's because mm -hmm. I'm straining my knees all the time. If that's, if you want to make that argument, you know, uh, for cycling. Um, so why wouldn't yeah. I do that? you know, it, it replicate the exact same mechanics and range of motion. So yeah, it, it's very difficult just to say, do this, don't do that. You really have to look at it on a, on a, well, for, for coaching, for a sports specific application. And you need to also look at it from an individual, like, can they squat with proper form? You know, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. And then let that decide what you do as far as range of motion. So yeah, it, it's interesting. I, that's why we don't do that often say, you know, you should or shouldn't do this. It's it's really like, if you can, great. If you can't, great. But, you know, decide, decide in, on an individual basis. Yeah, I, I agree. And like you were a personal trainer forever, like you just developed this eye also, like for yeah. like subtle, subtle shifts that are happening. Like you, you get to figure out when like pronation is just, oh, that's how their foot moves and it's fine versus like, oh, their ankle's caving in and they're about to shatter, shatter their ankle. <laughs> and it just yeah. becomes this thing that you start to start to develop. It's same with like, Again, Koo's been doing this forever and he uses training peaks and he's like one of the better in the game. And if you, him talking about like what he sees from that data is like, I see that stuff. He sees it a thousand times faster than I do. Yeah. And it's just this thing yeah. you develop over time. Like you just have to get the oh, reps Oh, for sure. In. So yeah, yep. setting your basis so that you can get the reps in is I, I think what a search is for personally. Yeah. And, and, and I think too, a lot of people will get a certification or they'll get a degree and they'll be like, they'll hang their hat on that and be like, I have whatever. Um, and as you said, stuff changes every day. You know, what was right tomorrow is not right today as far as, you know, or yeah, it's maybe absolutely. it's debunked today. So we always say, you know, like you're the, the education journey never ends, whether you're in mm -hmm. any field, right. It doesn't, it's not even specific to fitness or coaching. It's to any field. Right. Um, but especially I think with, with coaching, um, and with, with fitness, you know, as new studies come out, um, and as new, more information comes out, it's important to stay on top of that. Cause that's how you're going to give the best value and get the best results for your clients. Because, uh, and it's not that, you know, providing the bad information today is, is incorrect. That's all you have, you know, maybe tomorrow it comes out that half the stuff that came out in that ultra running certification is incorrect, you know, or yeah. who knows, but, but, um, but you do the best with what you have now, but you always have to be educating yourself, um, you know, in some way, shape or form. Absolutely. And like, I update month, like monthly, if we're going to be honest, like things are constantly changing. It's just one of those, like yep. you have to be constantly willing to learn. And I, back to the current point, like I feel so many people hold or so many coaches who've had much higher success than most people I know, right. Um, will rely on data that they had success on back in the 90s and yeah. it just doesn't necessarily like it carries but like it's a yes and a lot of the time yeah and if we're not updating and adding to our to our past data then i feel like we're just gonna we're inevitably gonna not get people the best results yeah yeah and i, I would add to and, and you see this all the time i'm sure you know when you go on coaching websites or personal training websites mm. you know it's always about um how many races they've done, which races they've done, what my PR is, you know, and there's this in, in, in the fitness world is how good do I look, right? Do I have a six pack abs? Do I, you know, have 1% body fat, you know, <laughs> I close more yeah. sales in person if I'm leaner, which I don't like yeah. that sentence, but it's true. It's, it's true. It's true. And, and, and to some degree, if I say, Hey, look, you know, I won Western States, I won UTMB, I won all these things. I'd probably get more clients because so many athletes, uh, potential, you know, um, you know, clients of, of coaches 
look for that. They, hey, you know, they they associate high performance, a high performing high performing individual, or you know, in the fitness world, someone who's looks super lean and whatever. He basically has the body type they want to have the body type of. That therefore means that they must be they'll be able to get me to that too. That's the most one of the most erroneous things out there. You know, yeah. um, do I think that it's helpful, of course, to actually do the sport that you're coaching in and have experience? A hundred percent. But do yeah, you absolutely. have to win Western states and UTMB to be a good coach? No. And I always, mm-hmm. I always take the opposite stance. I always argue the the reverse that you know, if I can run you know a two ten marathon, maybe I'd actually make a horrible coach because I cannot relate, or I might not be able to relate to people that can only run a eight or nine minute mile. You know, I just mm-hmm. think, you know, just because I chose good parents and I'm this genetic freak that everyone's like that, you know? So, so yeah. I think a lot of times it actually might, might hurt people. But so that's, if, if I could stress maybe even one thing on this podcast is that if people are looking for a coach, look to see if they're a great coach. Don't look to see if they're a great athlete, you know, get testimonials from people that have worked with them, see what their education is. How do they continually educate themselves? What's their sort of coaching philosophy? All those things are so much more important than how fast someone can run or bike or, you know, how fast they can do an Ironman or how much weight they can lift or if they have a six pack or not. Like that's, that is, has zero correlation to being a good coach. They might be a good coach, but that that's it's not because of those things. <laughs> I agree. And it feels like not gonna harp on it too much, but I do appreciate you saying that because like I'm not fast, man. Like it's just not it's not who I am. I, I do have a fairly heavy deadlift for someone who rarely trains deadlift because I have, you yeah. know, short, short tibia and kind of long arms and a very big butt. <laughs> so yeah. result, like yeah. it's easy for me to tear weight off the ground. Sure. That doesn't necessarily carry over to my like six foot five client who has short arms for his size and like t- tries to T-Rex it. Like we just don't do a normal deadlift <laughs> with him because he's just yeah. going to snap his back off. And of course that's not his fault. He's very strong. It's just, you know, not the same human. So yeah, I completely agree that the coach's um, athletic prowess doesn't necessarily carry over. So I appreciate yeah. you saying that because I do think it really yeah. matters. And like I was talking with Faith on here and I think I'm going to put her up. Her episode will be out by the time I get yours out. And she's a fantastic coach and she's first to say she's not like a high level athlete. And it just, it doesn't actually correlate all that much. No. And, and honestly, when when I think about if I were going to hire a coach, I, I think two things would kind of stick out in my mind. Well, three, maybe. Um, well, yeah, maybe two. Are they a student of the sport? Meaning, you know, do do they continually educate themselves when they go out for a run or a ride? Are they not just thinking about, I'm going out for a run or a ride, but like, oh, that's weird. My knee did that. I wonder why that happened. And then start, you know, researching it. Um so I think that's one. And two is just to really care about your athletes, to really want the best out of them. And it sounds weird that people would go into coaching or training and not do that. But I think for a lot of people, after a while, it just becomes all about the paycheck. You know, I, I, I'm going to give everyone the same program. Um, I, I still know more than they do. So they probably won't really catch on. And, and it's easier for me. And I make a lot of money that way. And I have, you know, 70 athletes in my roster. Whereas if you, co- if you really care about your athletes, that makes a huge difference, you know, as far as the type of programming you're putting out there. So those are the two things, if I were going to hire a coach tomorrow, I would look for is, are they a student of the sport? And do they really care about their, their athletes that those are the two things? Yeah, couldn't agree more. And I think that second portion is so, so important. Like, are you there when you need to be? It's really a big deal. Yeah. 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 And again, as we spoke of, that has no bearing on if I can run a 210 marathon, I can run a 210 mm-hmm. marathon and just call it in with my athletes and just give them the same program I did, you know, which is inevitably mm-hmm. going to fail probably, um, you know, but it's just caring about your athletes and being a student, a student of the sport has no bearing on how fast you are, obviously. So. Love that. So if we look at like one of your shirts, what does that, what does that process look like to, get certified what will you learn in these i realize it's sport dependent but like what will you learn in side certification and then like how would you get recertified because i i personally know they expire and for anybody else looking at this they expire so like how do we go through this process yeah yeah it's a good question so i, I sort of modeled our certifications after 
a four-year degree sort of smashed down. So like, for example, my first year of my freshman year of college, I had to take anatomy and physiology. I had to take biomechanics, physics, biology, you know, just all the sort of foundational stuff. So that's sort of how, how the first few modules are. It's anatomy, physiology, biomechanics, nervous system, um, you energy systems, you learn all about that, basically how the body works. I begin, you're not going to be a doctor or anything clearly, but you're going to learn how, you know, the basics of it, um, as far as how the body functions. So you can apply it later. And then after that, it gets into the application part. So whether it be ultra running triathlon, it goes into the specific biomechanics of those things It gets into the spe specifics of how to build a training plan, um, nutrition, it covers, um, to the scope of what, a coach can and should do not to the scope of where, um, you know, they can be, you know, creating diet plans or, you know, nutrition plans, anything like that. Um, but it gets into the specifics. So it sort of starts out foundational and then it goes into the application of it. Um, from a recertification point, um, this is another area that I, <laughs> I have a lot of contention with because again, a lot of it is just money grabs, uh, both in the coaching industry and the fitness industry. So Feels we have like two it. options. It, it does. It does. It's, it's, it's really, uh, can be really irritating. <laughs> um, you can either take yeah. a recertification exam, which I, uh, I believe is $99. You can recertify. So you're staying mm -hmm. up to date with, with the content or, and this is actually what I prefer, um, for no fee. You can write a paper. Um, again, it has to cite professional journals. Um, you're not doing the research yourself, but you're citing professional journals. So it's, you know, you're not citing, you know, like your best friend's blog. Um, and it can be on any topic in endurance sports. It doesn't have to be, you know, we don't tell you what it has to be, but it has to be in endurance sports. Um, mm. And it's it's free. You don't, there's no cost. You, we don't charge you for it. We don't, there's no renewal fee, but, uh, and it's every two years. And because what I personally found, and this is sort of my bias, is that, if I'm going to write a paper, I want to write a paper on something I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it's sort of a win-win because when these athletes or when these coaches, I should say, um, write these papers, not only do they learn a lot and become recertified, but then we get to share the paper that they wrote with all of our coaches as well. So then all the coaches, uh, that USCA certifies or those that care to read it in the coaches group benefit from the information and the research that this person, uh, did to write their continuing education paper. That's cool, man. Yeah. And I really appreciate that. I was in the process of like looking into that and then realized I get restarted by going to the conference. So I am not, yep. <laughs> but I was definitely because I am busy, but uh, it, it was a thing. Then I, I will just use my own. I have a, an athlete who has just an egregiously high three liter an hour sweat rate and lives mm. in Texas. And so we have oh, been wow. throwing everything at the wall to keep him not dying this summer and it's been a challenge yeah so like i bet hyperhydration was going to be the topic and it because mm. i was doing it anyway <laughs> like doing the work yeah. right and uh sure so we have like sodium loading glycerin like all these protocols and it is just it is nice to be able to maintain your certification with like just by doing your job better so that's a nice yeah thing. yeah and i think it's cool you know it's like you hear it a lot with, uh, in the medical world when someone has like a disease, right? Like you, like, let's say if I got X, Y, Z type of cancer tomorrow, I'm going to do all the research I can on that. And, and, you know, you, you go from zero to essentially an expert overnight, you know, and it's like, you mm -hmm. don't know what you don't know until you start researching stuff. So what one, a lot of the feedback we get from these coaches that have written the paper is they'll write it on whatever topic. And they say, wow, I, I thought I knew a lot about this topic till I started actually doing real, you know, getting research articles. And I turns yeah. out I didn't know much at all. And now I feel and like confirm. I'm kind of an expert yeah. in this one area. And it, it's very cool. And, and, um, and it's true, you know, you don't know what you don't know until you start digging in. And, and I think that's also where you, you know, at least me personally, I'm sort of in awe of like those, those presenters at the conference. Cause they know what they know and they don't know what they don't know. I think one thing too, and this is sort of deviating from the topic, but one of the flags, red flags for me is when people are these sort of know-it-all people, when they, they know everything, they'll never say, I don't know something. You know, at that conference, we heard from some of the most knowledgeable people out there in respiratory therapy and environmental physiology. In a lot of the, when people would do the Q and A's, you remember a lot of the responses were, I'm not sure. 
I, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know about that or I'll get back to you. Um, and I'm sure they probably knew more about that topic that they're saying they don't know a lot about than most people do, but because they weren't yeah. the experts, um, they didn't feel it was their place to to say things. So the other thing I'll say when, when people are looking for a coach is, you know, to, to not test them, but to see like, well, what, what is your expertise? And if they say everything, <laughs> that's, that's a red flag, you know, like versus, you know, say, this is what I know. This is what I can help you with other, you know, I'll refer out, you know, I would refer you to other people. That's the, mm-hmm. that's what a professional coach does. Um, and again, I know I just kind of went off on a tangent there, but, um, no, but I think that's another red flag I would say if people are looking for a coach there's people that say they can do it all from the biomechanics to nutrition to whatever it's like you might know a little bit about all that stuff but you're like I said before you're you're not an expert and I think hearing all those real experts say I don't know even in the area of their expertise say oh that's a good question I've never actually come across that before though that's a sign of someone who knows their stuff yeah absolutely and like just to dig a little more into that point, like what do you actually need in a coach too? Right. So like I um, know quite a few who don't do strength work and honestly, they, some of them shouldn't because they don't know anything about yeah. it and that's okay. And I don't judge that at all. If you, I actually really appreciate those who stay in their lane. Um, but yep. if you need strength work and that is your, one of your bigger priorities, either also hire a strength coach, if your coach doesn't do it or find one who does like know that yep. the things you need and then find the coach who actually does the stuff that you do. Like I, yeah, my knowledge is like, I've, I've tried to build mine, like moderately shallow, but pretty wide. So I can do fairly surface level stuff for, for most people. And sure. But probably strength is my bigger, bigger aspect, I guess, at the moment. And if uh, if someone comes to me with like hormone stuff, like that's not my jam. <laughs> like yeah. you should either go find like an endocrinologist or a coach who knows a lot more than that. Right, about yeah. That. And I'll be very upfront about that. So like, it's one of those like knowing, knowing what you know and being willing to like lean into that and like learn more. Yeah, I, I I couldn't agree more. For me, even though I was in the fitness space and nutrition is obviously tied to weight loss, which is why so many people mm-hmm. do it. Like, it's just something I never knew much about. I never really, mm-hmm. honestly, cared to know much about. It wasn't like like in your words, it wasn't my jam. And I mean, like you know, yeah, I mean, I my that. my nutrition information would be to tell them that eat a box of cheese its and gummy bears and you know <laughs> call it a day. Like that's probably not ideal, right? So like I would yeah, but I love that though. Just, like that's how I started yeah. though. Like nutrition was like where I like first got into fitness. I loved it. Like, oh nice. Research there, like pretty long listed. But yeah, I I love when people just yeah I don't know man because I mean. Yeah. Not so much at the gym where I currently am, but at a gym previously, I just hear stuff like across the room that is just like, no, <laughs> yeah. it's not correct. It's neither how the human body works, nor is like a gummy bear going to immediately give you diabetes. So maybe take a breath. And right. uh, I I appreciate hearing coaches like, I don't know, man, like, let me, let me look it up or for you out. I think it's really yeah. an important thing to say. Yeah, for sure. It's like, yeah. And it's like, mine was like a double whammy. Cause not only did I not know about it, I didn't care to know about it. So it was yeah, always, no, you know, most we people had, don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And at the gyms where I at, you know, we always had RDs and, and mm-hmm. stuff. So I'd be like, you know, go, go see Catherine. She's, she's mm-hmm. the RD on site. She'll, she'll help you out. Cause again, 100%. like if you ask me, I'm going to tell you to just eat steak and gummy bears. So that's probably, <laughs> you probably don't place. You're not going to pay me for that. So yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, I think staying, staying in your lane, both in terms of scope of practice and scope of knowledge is so critically important. Um, you know, I, at the gym that I've worked at, you know, I would see these trainers because everyone has to pay rent. I totally get yeah. that. They would they would take on, you know, someone would say, hey, I've got, you know, a torn rotator cuff, you know, um, whatever to my SI joint, you know, a fractured toe and whatever, you know, and they're like, yeah, I can take you out. <laughs> and inevitably what happens is, they can't, right? So the progress stalls or they get them more injured. And it's just, it's such a bad way to go about it. So inevitably it catches up to you. But um, so yeah, it, it, when you're first starting out, turning away clients or referring them to someone else is tough because it looks like it's money that's just going out the door that you're not yeah. actually getting in your in your bank account. And I, and I completely understand that. But at the end of the day, you're you're a professional, whether it be coach, trainer, whatever, you have to stay in your lane, 100%. Yeah. And I would say anybody, coach who says they've never taken an edge case is probably a liar. But like, yep. you got to 
grow and adapt and not do that. And also probably yep. have a system for if you still accidentally do that, right? Like I've definitely um, taken a couple and it resulted in a, on my end, voluntary refund where I'm just like, we're not a good fit. Like this just yep. isn't, isn't the thing you should go talk to this person, right? Yep. Like that's, that's where that fits. And I think to yep. some degree you need to be, I realize financial place is tough sometimes, especially like you're not going to make anything as a trainer for the first couple months. It's just, or weirs. <laughs> it's just what it yep. is. Um, yep. But you, you have to have like the long-term integrity aspect of it as well. Yeah. And, and the long game is so important because I think what a lot of trainers and coaches don't understand is it is that saying goes, it takes a village, right? So when you mm. refer these clients to a biomechanist, to a nutritionist or, you know, registered dietitian to whoever, those people, you now have a relationship with them, right? And those people might refer people back to you. So again, is it immediate? No, but will you have a larger network and will it most likely serve you well in the long run from a financial standpoint? Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. You know, but, but even irrespective of that, that's still the right thing to do. You have to refer out um, if, if they're not the right fit or if it's outside your scope of knowledge or practice. Mm-hmm. 100%. So. Well, Thank you, Rick. I really appreciate it. I like your shirt, at least the one I have, and I've looked at a couple other ones. And um, yeah, I think you're doing a really good thing. Is there anything else you'd like to, to share? Or like how people can find you or any of the things that we should know? Yeah, I mean, the, the easiest way to, to find us is just uh, online on our website, uesca.com, uh, uesca.com. And then, yeah, all of our offerings are there. Um, you know, blog posts, podcasts. We also have a podcast as well. Um, so yeah, all that stuff is there sort of, uh, you know, so you can get a better feeling for the company, but yeah, no, I really appreciate me. I really appreciate having me on. It's, it's been fun chatting with you. I love that. And I guess like on that note, something you didn't mention, so I'm going to do it for you is you have started to do this like specialization courses. And I took Justin's on psychology. I thought it was really good. Um, I don't want to be a race director so and take the other one, but like, what are yeah. you looking at coming down the pike for, for some of those or like other offerings that might be coming in the future? Cause I know that like, if you take two of those, that's another way to research, which is really cool. So like yeah. what, what's coming down the, down the lane on that. So we have a few, um, we have a, uh, a swim stroke, uh, uh, freestyle stro- uh, swim stroke analysis uh, awesome. being done right now. Be, uh, this guy, Brenton Ford, who's one of the top Australian uh, swim coaches, specifically who works with triathletes. Um, we cool. have a uh, self-defense course coming up, which I know it sounds kind of weird, but it's not your typical self-defense stuff. <laughs> you know, like, stop, don't, you know, get away. It actually goes into, um, it's based off a model called TFT, Target Focused Training. And nice. it's based off of biomechanics. And it's also based off the theory of do everything you can to avoid an altercation. But if you are in an altercation or in a situation, you have to do, you have to do everything in your power to do it. So it's, it's going to be very interesting. It, it's incredible content. Um, you know, speaking, going back to the bike thing, bike accidents. Also, I feel like you can't, we don't go, unfortunately, more than like a month or so when you don't hear of a jogger, oftentimes a female who was assaulted on a, on a Mm -hmm. run. And that was sort of the genesis for having this one. It's giving people the tools to, to know what to do if they're in a situation that in theory could be life or death. Um, that's coming down the pike. We have a few others, um, female physiology certification is going to be coming or certificate course, uh, specialization course is going to be coming out. Uh, gate analysis will be coming out. Um, wilderness survival. Cause again, a lot of it, whether it be gravel or, um, you know, ultra running, a lot of times you're out there in the woods, <laughs> you know? So, so those things are, are going to be coming out. So the goal is to have about 15 to 20 of these specialization courses in the, the, the genesis for those is that, you know, you don't have to have taken one of our certifications to, to purchase these, but it's sort of like, you know, okay, you took ultra running, you took running, you took triathlon and you liked it. You learned a lot, but you really, really want, want to learn a lot more about X, Y, Z, um, taking deep dives in the specific areas. So that's what the specialization courses are really for. Kind of like you said, with sports psychology, you know, we have it in our certifications, but that takes a much deeper dive. I, yeah, love it. And all of those sound 
very worthwhile to be added to the to the sphere of coaching. So I think it's super cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, uh, about I, gate analysis and a few other ones as well. So and the the survival yeah. one I think would be very key. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Man, it's yeah. Awesome. It's and it's uh so we did I did a podcast with Stephen Littlewood. He's the creator. He was actually at the conference. He's going to be the guy putting that together. Does a lot of search and rescue cool. stuff. Um, and yeah, again, well, it's incredible for sure. He's, he yeah, seems cool. it's incredible the amount of knowledge. He's such a great guy. Um, the other shirt, and you'll appreciate this one. Will the other, the last certification that we are going to be doing, um, is going to be a strength conditioning certification for endurance sports athletes. So that's the last certification we're probably going to do. The rest will be mostly specialization courses. So that's sort of in, in development right now, actually the strength and conditioning certification. Um, that's awesome, and that's being done by, uh, Lori thompson who is actually i think she's like four or five months away from uh defending her phd um but her background is also she's an endurance athlete but her background is primarily strength conditioning and all that all that good stuff very cool man i love that yeah yeah so cool stuff coming i appreciate it thank you well thanks so much i will definitely link those in the show notes thank you for being here and uh we'll have to do this again sometime definitely thanks for your time i appreciate it Anyways, thanks, man. Thank you for listening to the Trail and Ultra Running Training Podcast. Honestly, I'm still surprised and honored that anybody wants to hear what I have to say, so thank you. To be clear, not a doctor, nor a registered dietitian, or any other kind of medical professional. I'm a personal trainer, a nutrition coach, and a running coach, and I have a passion for training trail runners. You should always speak with a qualified medical professional before making any changes to your training or nutrition program. If you enjoyed the podcast or found it helpful, please take a second leave a rating or review, I'd really appreciate it. Or you could just share it with someone for whom you think it might be helpful. I make these kinds of things in order to provide more quality, free resources to people. So the more people who hear it, the better. If you want more of this information, please head to the Trail and Ultra Running Training Group on Facebook, where we discuss all aspects of training so you can have more fun doing the sport that you love. Thank you again for listening.